Several times in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus starts a teaching with the phrase, you have heard it said. He then goes on to state something that all good religious folk knew to be true. Or was it? Without hesitation, Jesus redirects the entire teaching with these words, but I say to you. He then goes on to teach them something different, which completely changes their understanding of what they previously thought to be true. Surprisingly, but unquestionably, we live in similar circumstances today. Much common knowledge we all take for granted begins with the phrase, everybody knows. Quite literally, we have heard it said for so long, we do not recognize thoughts or ideas that contradict the wisdom of God and lead us away from authentic life in Jesus Christ. Sadly, this same worldly wisdom has also infected a great deal of church teaching as well. In this podcast, the Reverend Elizabeth Moreau explores a different piece of conventional wisdom, examines what is true from a Christian point of view, and exposes how widely held common knowledge can lead us away from God. Welcome to the You Have Heard It Said podcast. Welcome. Um, You're listening to the You Have Heard It Said podcast. This is Elizabeth Moreau, in case you are just joining us for the first time. And I am picking up on a topic from the last time. The topic last, the last, the last podcast was what is what is truth. You know, what is the meaning of truth, right? And uh, is the way in which you commonly phrase that is you have heard it said that everybody has his or her own his or her own truth. Truth is whatever you believe it to be. Whatever is true for you, each person has his own truth. So last time we talked about that question in general: what is truth? And in this podcast, I want us to pick up where I left, where we left off last time, with the question about what is truth for human beings. Okay, to do that, I want us to open with a word of prayer before we consider anything about humanity or human beings apart from our Creator. Let us open with a word of prayer and ask for His help. Hear my prayer, Heavenly Father. Have mercy upon me, a sinner, and save me. We ask that you open our hearts and our minds to the knowledge and love of you in Jesus Christ. Grant that we may receive your Holy Spirit for the healing of our souls. Illumine our thoughts and enliven our hearts. Teach us in this time so that we may know you and your Son, Jesus Christ, and live. These things we pray in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Okay, so the issue of truth and humanity or human being, the being of a human, is critically important. Right. We, uh, I don't think we seem to know anymore in our society what it means to be human. I mean, if we're going to let everybody define it for him, for the, for himself or themselves or herself or whatever, um, you know, then we can't possibly have any clear definition of what it means to be human, which is very strange, right? But we've lost the sense of what it means to be human. To be human as opposed to, say, a fish or a rock or a daisy. We're none of those things. We are a human being. So I want to remind us the definition of truth that... Um, I was using last time because I'm going to use the same thing this time. I want to talk about um, what is truth in reference to um, the meaning of truth is the accurate depiction of reality. Not scholarly, not philosophical, but just a plain practical definition. What is the truth? An accurate picture of reality, an accurate accurate depiction of reality. All right. 
So, I mean, like if you are talking to um, your child, you can use that definition. Your child says, well, you know, I can have two beers and drive and I can have four beers and drive. I've done it before. I know I can do it. And an accurate depiction of reality is your alcohol level is this and you cannot. So, um, but I mean, an accurate depiction of reality. That's what truth is, right? Therefore, in reference to human beings, the question of what does it mean to be human is what is, what is the quality of being human? What accurately depicts that? And that is a complex question, actually. Um, it has to be large enough. Our answer would have to be large enough to encompass all of humanity for all times and all places, whether it is prehistoric humanity, whether it is the time of King David, the time of Jesus, or today in, say, I don't know, Chile or in uh, uh, New Zealand or, I don't know, in Zimbabwe or in... The U.S. today. It has to be big enough to encompass all human beings if we're going to understand what is true about human, human nature or human beings, right? The meaning of humanity. But it has to be precise enough to be individual. That's important because you have individual humans, which I find to be utterly amazing that we are distinct from one another. We're exactly the same except for we're all entirely different. Which is just one of the most fascinating phenomena, I think. It's, it, to me, it bears witness to the wonder of who God is. But anyway, um, there are whole fields of study on this topic on what it means to be human. And I'm not going to, um, uh, there's some of these that I think are highly dubious, but I'm not, I'm not, my goal is not scholarly here. I don't want to win a debate with scholars. I want to help us as Christians think about what it means to be human and how we're supposed to live. It needs to be useful for every day, not for um, a debate with somebody in, in an, an academy. Those are important, don't get me wrong, but. For us today, right, it's for you, for your neighbor, for your child. What does it mean to be human? Right? If you look back over history, you can see that there's enormous complexity in our humanity and in, and in human beings. The, we're, we're complex creatures. And here I'm not talking about race and I'm not talking about languages. You know, race is all the hot button today, but that's a real superficial sort of thing. That's just on the surface. The question is, who are you inside? What, is, what, is, what, is, what does it mean to be human? And it's not going to be your skin color because... Um, and it's not going to be your language. We make a big deal about language. Uh, languages can be learned, and skin color is just um, uh, the wrapping. How's that? But what it means to be human would entail things like intellect or creativity or imagination. Uh, intellect would, I mean, you know, uh, we would, to be human is the ability, and we see this in all civilizations, all times, all throughout history, whether it's a tribe or in a city-state or in a fiefdom or whatever it is. We have the capacity for organization, for social order. There's always hierarchy. The idea that we're going to get rid of hierarchy is delusional, and it's not even healthy. We're, we, create, we, we function in a hierarchy, right? Um, and, and we need that, but there's a lot about our society that's delusional. Just because we're trying to get rid of stuff and change what it means to be human uh, does not mean we're going to succeed, nor does it mean we should succeed, right? Um Another thing to be human is the building of family units, um, having children, perpetuating the life, your offspring, your family, your line, right? That's very important. And that's important in, um, in, in among royalty, and that's important among um, the average everyday person, and that's important throughout history in every civilization. We see among human beings also. We see the drive for wealth or the willingness to wage war against one another. We're gonna have, we want to have power over others. Uh, this is what I said about slavery last time, that, it, that, we, that people had always enslaved one another. Right? We have a tremendous capacity for evil. That is what boggles my mind. There's tremendous capacity for evil. We're willing to do harm to others, and we are willing to do it gratuitously, just because we want to. We are willing to be harmful. And if we in our society don't do that, just to be just to be harming others uh, physically, we certainly are perfectly capable of doing it with our pettiness or with our gossip or with our um, you know exclusion, where we don't allow somebody to be around us or whatever. We're perfectly capable of harming others gratuitously. 
You know, it said that that language is what distinguishes human beings from from other species, so to speak, or other mammals that are different from monkeys or gorillas or whatever, and um, that they can be taught language, especially sign language. There's that gorilla can speak sign language and say however many words. That language is what distinguishes us from um, everybody else. And I want to say to you that I don't think that's true. All right, I don't think it's language. Language is impressive, no, no doubt. Right, um, but um, um, I think what distinguishes us from other species is our imagination the ability to conceive of a different state of affairs to imagine that to imagine something else you know like for example birds sing but then but no bird has ever come up with an opera and and the singing bird is is wondrous we all lock them outside our windows or whatever and, and you know mary poppins uh in the morning with a little bird there but a bird can sing and it does it never comes up with an opera it never imagines like you know any kind of music so human beings are distinctly different. We have the capacity for imagination. We have the capacity to create a different state of affairs, to imagine something different. My dog has never once walked into me and said, you know, I'd like to be an architect. I'm Instead of laying here on my on my, my bed and, and sleeping while you're over there reading a book or working on the computer, I would like to be studying architecture. Do you have a problem with that? That's what I would like to do. The importance of this question cannot be overstated because it is the question that we that we want to know how best to order our lives. You remember in the last podcast, what I said was that I was looking for truth. When I went to seminary, I was looking for truth because how am I supposed to live my life? How do I how do I order my life? How do I how do I move my life forward? And it's to our detriment that we don't think about truth as the like say the the central uh, post of all human society, like the around which we all revolve. Here's the truth, and we're supposed to be because it's a question for our lives today. How do we live? What is the point of life? And, and everybody gets to choose his or her own point, completely denies it does not actually increase our humanity. And I'm going to talk about this a little more in the next session. It decreases our humanity to say that, that you know, you could, what is your point? My point in life is to play video games. No, that's not your point in life. Uh, that may be my grandson's point in life. That's not true. He's older now, but anyway. You have heard it said that you can choose your own truth. But that idea is self-contradictory in and of itself. You cannot choose your own truth. You cannot choose to fly. You cannot choose to swim to the bottom of the ocean. I mean, um, you can. You cannot choose not to be social, for example. You cannot choose not to participate in society. Um, think about food. Think about physical care, procreation, the you know uh, reproduction, the maintenance of the species. You are not human alone. Right, um, I, 150 years ago, I have pictures of a fa- of family members from 100, about 150 years ago. It's on tin, printed out on tin, and they are um, in a forest, surrounded by forest everywhere, and um, barefoot, and you know whatever. But they weren't alone. There was a whole family. I mean, think of what you'd have to do. I mean, theoretically, you could live by yourself if you, um, you know, lived out off the grid is the, the new phrase or whatever. But you'd have to have inventions by other people. You'd have to have solar. You'd have to, because, you know, anyway, um, you can't be human alone. We require others to live in society and in a culture. All right. So there's a lot of definition here. I've given a lot of definition on what it means, how we're going to decide what it means to be human. That's because human beings are so complex, right? And I want us to grab the magnitude, grasp the magnitude of the difference between us and other life forms. Go back to the fish or the rock or the daisy or whatever. But we are dramatically different. I was reading a, an online discussion um, among Christians, and it was uh, on was it, on, on 
do dogs go to heaven when they die? And I was like, what? You didn't see the movie? I saw the movie. The movie says all dogs go to heaven. But anyway, so the question was, they were, and, and this pastor responds, uh, no, dogs don't go to heaven. They have no soul. And I'm like, oh, wait. You know, and he's like, I always tell my people, uh, oh, yes, of course, your dog's gone to heaven. I thought, well, how condescending to not tell them the truth. If you think that your dog is not, that dogs don't go to heaven, you know, um, then I don't think you should lie to your parishioners and pretend that you're being, you know, uh, righteous in some form or fashion. You need to tell them the truth. But anyway, so this, this pastor's like, oh, no, all dogs don't go to heaven. And I thought, they don't have a soul. And I'm like, oh, yeah. Well, no, I don't think that my dog had a soul. But when I get to heaven, if Remy is not there waiting for me, Remington, my beloved Remington, um, I'm going to look at him and say, uh, Lord, I've got, I've got a complaint here. I will tell you, the Lord is used to my complaints. Um, I complain a lot, and he's used to that, and he doesn't really approve, but he's a loving God, and he tolerates me. All right? It is totally unimaginative to think that creation will not be restored to its creator. Whether it's a dog or a tree or a mountain, it doesn't matter. It is reductionist, right? To to think about we have that's a reductionist Christianity. We have no serious or in depth understanding. It's a failure to understand the relationship between the Creator and His creation, the restoration. It's talked about in um, in the Psalms. It's talked about in uh, uh, the Revelation, the new heaven, and new earth. It is talked about in uh, Paul talks about it about how creation uh, is yearning to. Uh, be restored. But anyway, um, that's not actually the language Paul uses, but anyway. Um, but the point is like, dogs don't have a soul, therefore they won't go to heaven. I disagree with that. They don't have a soul, but they, I would think they will go to heaven, so to speak. But the truth about human beings is that we do have a soul and we're distinct from all other, all other life forms out there. Right? So, how we answer the truth, right, is going to answer questions like, uh, what is the meaning of our life? What is the purpose of being human? Why are we here? How do we live? Seems reasonable. Another point in issue, and I'm going to talk about this over and over again because I think it is so critical in this day and age. How do we educate? What is education? Right? What knowledge is appropriate to human beings? Right? What, what is it? What do we need to know to be human? Because we're not teaching it now, let me tell you. you we have a lot of technology, but we don't understand what it means. We don't understand the meaning of life. We don't understand uh, the nobility. We have turned into a fairly ignoble group of people. Uh, we have a lot of technological uh, advancements, and we have a lot less humanity. And so I would say, I would say to you that, that um, how we educate is very important because I believe, it is my conviction, that Christianity answers that question better than any other field of study or field of thought, any other philosophy, any other religion. Christianity answers better the question, what does it mean to be human, than anything else. I also believe that American Christianity has largely forgotten that, that we no longer remember that the best answer to the question, what does it mean to be human, is found in Jesus Christ. You know, you hear me say we're chasing after the culture, and I think that's true. And we use Christian language and Christian words to dress up and parrot cultural beliefs. We hear that all the time, frequently in Bible studies or in, you know, we reinterpret the scriptures through, you know, whatever the latest uh, psychologist theory is or whatever. Um, you know, and we're going to try to be relevant. We're going to try to be relevant to what? What are we trying to be relevant to? You know, do you really think American pop culture is all of that, like, is the highest form of humanity? Amer really? Okay, human expression, this is the highest form of human expression, is, is like, I don't know. The church leaders seem to think that. We hear it all the time in our church. I'm not talking about the average individual Christian. I think average individual Christians strive to be Christian as well as they're taught and as well as they're learned. But, I mean, to, to reflect the culture around us, we're trying to be relevant to that. 
I, I can't even figure out why. Okay, so we, I, I got this email, and I'll probably talk about it another time, but um, an email from church leadership, right? And this is a while back, been months ago, and it says, we're going to be making disciples using a scientific method. And I thought, oh, good Lord, how did Jesus make disciples? I mean, Jesus didn't use the scientific method. It's not that they didn't have science. It's not that they didn't understand, you know, they didn't research the world and search into, you know, uh, try to discover creation and how it all worked and everything, the human body, just like we do. But they didn't have the scientific method. How did Jesus make disciples? Lord, he was waiting long, long for somebody to come along and create, come up with a scientific method. I was like, how lost do we have to be as a people that we think we're going to use the scientific method? Good Lord. I mean, like, scientists don't even use the scientific method half the time. You know, it's, it's crazy. You know, the dominant theme in American culture today, um, particularly, is uh, Western culture in general, but in America particularly, uh, is materialism. I'm not about wealth here or possessions, although that is pretty prominent, I will say that. Okay, uh, but our emphasis on the physical world and on physicality. Really? Is this all there is? What you see is what you get? This physical world? I want us to realize today that Western culture is unique in the world, in our world today, and it's made a complete break from everybody in history. Okay, Every society, every people in all time, throughout all history, in prehistoric, from prehistoric times to today, and across the world today by and large, right, have believed in and worshipped transcendent beings. They have known there is something beyond this life. They have been aware of something beyond us. Right? Not us. We're a, we are what, this is so insulting, but I say anyway, I think we're a real flat earth society. We only see what's here. That's it. There's nothing beyond us. It's kind of flat earth, right? That's meant to be an insult toward, insult toward Christians who um, didn't believe Galileo, which is a total, that is completely historically false. Just that whole, that whole narrative is completely warped. But that's a whole another conversation for another day. My, um, but, you know, Christians are called flat earth because we didn't believe Galileo, which isn't accurate. But again, that's where that saying comes from, flat earth society. I don't go, no, no, today it's all the secular people who are flat earth. They can imagine nothing beyond this. And this, the, you know, it'd be a lot more plausible. That would be a lot more believable, really, if, um, uh, if we showed one inkling of improvement in our humanity without transcendence. But we're not even close. Not even close, right? Uh, we are angry. We are whiny. We are fearful. You know, we're we're stressed and we're unhappy because we're victims of everything around us. I was, you know, I was during the illustration, the illustration I'm going to use is during the pandemic, right? Um, there were all these, these jokes going around, all these memes or whatever they call them, and um, they were going around about... Um, um, I don't know. I thought some of them were just hysterical. My favorite was the Mona Lisa, you know, the different phases of, of, of uh, lockdown or whatever. But anyway, it was, I was reading this article and it said, don't make eating jokes because, you know, there are people who are overweight out there. And um, and I chose this illustration specifically because I struggle with my weight. But anyway, it's, the, the article was from this psychologist and she was like, it was very condescending. Don't say this. You can say these things. These things are humorous. And I was like, not nearly as funny as what the lady put in our, our um, neighborhood our neighborhood group that said, so this is about three or four weeks into the pandemic. And she goes, so, um, uh, how does this work? Does my 600 pound life just come and find me or whatever for the show? It was so funny. I laughed so hard, but anyway, I mean, you know, what were we all doing? We're all, the reason it's funny, the ability to laugh at yourself, right? And she said, now then you might hurt somebody's feelings. If you say that, if I were an emoji, I'd be rolling my eyes right now, just for the record. All right. Do you think that maybe we don't know that we're like fat or we're overweight? We, and, and if we don't talk about it, it'll just ignore it and go away? 
I mean, you know, we hurt somebody's feelings. Are we so delicate that we cannot laugh at ourselves anymore? I love what Dolly Parton said about being blonde because people make blonde jokes all the time. And, and, and she said, she said, oh, I, she goes, I always think they're funny. I think they don't bother me at all. And she said, um, I know. And she said, that's because I know that I'm not dumb. And she goes, I also know that I'm not blonde. I just thought that was hilarious because I'm not blonde either. I used to be. You know, If we stop talking about it, are people going to stop eating? No. So learn to laugh. Y'all, I got to tell you, the thing that got my attention recently is the brouhaha between the British royal, in the middle of the British, British royal family. And um, I'm like going, that is incredible. Um, you have a divorced biracial American actress who is a duchess, which is only one of 31 in the entire Great Britain and, the, you know, all the islands and stuff. Only 30, one of only 31 duchesses. Those offices are available, right? She is now estranged, living in um, a $14 million home in the United States with an incredibly wealthy husband. And she's convinced half, herself for sure, but half the American population that she's a victim. How do we get here? How, how do you get there? And let's take that up after the break. All right. Elizabeth will be back in just a moment. If you have questions or comments about this or a previous podcast, please send her an email. Her email address is elizabeth at servantsfeast.org. We're back now to You Have Heard It Said with the Reverend Elizabeth Moreau. Alrighty then, we are back now, and I want to start off by clarifying a point that I just made right before the break, and I want to say that, um, you know, I, when I when I talk about reposting the article about reposting um, uh, jokes about gaining weight during the pandemic or whatever that that was, we should not do that because it might hurt somebody's feelings or whatever. I am not suggesting that at all that it is okay to mock an individual or to make fun of an individual or to... Um, to, to demean somebody, right, an individual. But I am saying that we as a people are hypersensitive, that we have got reached this point that um, we are taking everything personally all about ourselves. It's all about me, and, you know, we've lost the ability to laugh at ourselves entirely. And this is part of the problem with our society today. It's a symptom of a larger problem, okay? Um, if you're deeply bothered about being overweight, then then you need to go on a diet and lose some weight. You need to, and it's very easy how to do it. The doctor tells us all the time, here's how you do it. Here's how you lose weight, Right. Okay, but don't tell the rest of the world to stop laughing because your feelings are hurt. I mean, and, and, and that's what we do all the time. That hurt my feelings, so you can't say that anymore. And I'm not for being rude at all, but I am for learning to take ourselves not quite so seriously, not to think that we are so important. That is just, um, it, it makes for a humorless society, and we are certainly humorous, humorless, what am I trying to say? If we can't laugh at ourselves and laugh at the human condition, y'all, then, you know, we must cry. Because there's something wrong with us, every one of us. And if you can't laugh at it, then you're going to have to cry at it. And it's much easier to take the truth with a, with a laugh than it is to take it with, you know, um, I don't know, brutality. The doctor never laughs when she tells me, you're overweight, you need to lose weight. Never once. I'd much rather laugh, let me tell you. Okay, but that's where we are as a society. We are taking ourselves far too seriously, which is not the same thing as saying that I think we should make fun of people who are overweight or anything. I don't think we should make fun of people at all personally or individually, but I don't think everybody needs to take everything that's said personally, right? And the case in point in this is uh, the Duchess of Sussex, right? She's a beautiful woman, really, truly beautiful woman. And uh, she is quite literally married to a prince, okay? Cinderella all over, right? She's married into one of the wealthiest families in the world, lives in palace, whatever. She's a member of the royalty. And she's, uh, she was, this, this is a woman who is a divorced actress. She's biracial, American, and she became a duchess 
one of only like 31 in the in the in the entire great great britain you know the british isles right her feelings got hurt because someone didn't like her or someone was not nice to her and now she's a victim right and i think depression and suicide are extremely serious but i'm not sure she helped the cause of depression and suicide at all I mean, people who are truly in, are genuinely depressed and ready for suicide. So my question is, how do we reach this point? How do we reach the point that somebody like her can be um, a victim, right? And of course, it's a complicated question. It's got all sorts of complicated answers. Multifaceted causes are involved in all of that. And uh, I'm using two themes that I want to build together, two intellectual themes. They're intellectual developments or whatever. And I think that they underpin the, the general problem that we face today. They underpin our society and the, com the complexities and the difficulties that we're having in our society today. And the first of that is the theory of evolution. And I am not going to even for a minute get into some kind of scientific argument that I am ill-prepared to debate. I am fine believing that God, um, that God, I want to say, created using evolution. I am all over that. You want to believe in evolution? I think that's fine. I think it is a dubious scientific theory based on some of the questions that have been raised about it. And again, I'm not saying yay or nay because I'm not, I'm not an authority on that. If you believe that, that's fine with me. I'm okay with that. But, you know, if you believe that God didn't create or didn't design, I'm not okay with that. That's not Christian, right? And, um, uh, but I will say this, that the theory of evolution underpins one of the crucial, um, I want to say, strains of, of thought in our society. And, and I'm not sure we always connect this, right? But um, the theory of evolution uh, is that, um, uh, what, I mean, how does, it, how does it convey humanity? That's for us. What it does is, I mean, you know, how, what does it mean to be human if, through the theory of evolution? Theory of evolution, you started off in the primordial sludge someplace. You evolved through whatever many different stages or whatever until you became a monkey. And then at some point you became a human, Right. Now, I have my doubts about that. I just find that to be highly implausible. I mean, that you could, do you realize that I cannot even, I'm going to go there. I'm not going to go there. I can't argue this scientifically because I'm not a scientist. But, I mean, you cannot chain, you cannot find a single consistent chain of evolution anywhere in all of creation that you can document all the way back to the primordial sludge. Not one. I mean, not even of like a most basic element. So why would you, I mean, in both the organism, why would you think that this enormous diversity could have occurred like this. I mean, you know, like just at random. I don't think it did. But that's just me, all right? I think that's one of the questions that get raised that's, that's never answered correctly or ever, ever, never answered well or it's never a compelling answer. But what happens if you are human beings that are, obvious, obviously, if you're a human being that evolved, you're just an advanced animal, right? So what happens? We're subject to our physical uh, self. We're subject, subject to our physical processes, Right, scientists can track our emotions. They can, you know, connect all the little wires to our brains or whatever, and they can and they can track our thoughts. They can track our prayers. It's all natural. It all occurs inside the brain, all inside the mind, whatever. And uh, they and, and like I said, uh, I think last time that we were talking about, they're trying to to um, figure out where conscience is seated. Where's the, where's the conscience? How do we measure the conscience? Which would be the soul, right? Um, but that's not what they call it. It's just a conscience. Why do we have a conscience? No, right from wrong or whatever. Why is that an idea in the human mind? Um, there's nothing unique about human beings if you're, a, if you're truly committed to the theory of evolution. And, and you can certainly see the way that plays itself out. Everything is a function of brain activity, and the brain activity is all a function of what has evolved and our hormones and all the different things that occurred uh, to make us the way we are, right? And um, that's important because, you know, if you're an animal, then you are 
ultimately subject only to what you need, right? I mean, what you want. Uh, you need food, and you need shelter, and you need sex to procreate. These are all biological functions, right? And um, they, they become unrestrained needs, okay? Everybody has to have this. Everybody needs this, right? And um, there's also no distinctive moral imperative. There's no reason to be moral one way or the other. Uh, there's no clear right or wrong because you're just an animal, Okay. After all, if we're animals, then there's nothing we can do about ourselves, right? And we, the best we can do is just claim that we've been house trained. There you go. Do you ever think? Do you ever watch animals, right? Um, on the animal channel or whatever? They're not all that nice. I mean, they're really not. They eat one another. It's really incredible. Domestic animals can be nice. I like my dogs, right? But animals in the wild, they're not to be trusted, right? The second stream of the intellectual stream, I guess, that I want to uh, tie in here is, is that of, it's been running through the Academy for three or four decades easily, and um, therefore it has been running through minds for three or four decades, and it is known as critical theory, and you've probably heard of it. Actually, it, it dates back 100 years or more, and it comes out of the work of Karl Marx, right? And it's got multiple variations and all that kind of stuff and the different emphases or whatever. But um, it's still, as you would expect, it's all about separating the oppressor from the oppressed, right? And uh, you're going to emancipate people from slavery and we're going to create a world where everybody is happy, right? And, and people are empowered and, and, and what, what, what this does is it, it identifies you as a group. That's who you are. Your identity is tied to your group and it pits one group against another group. Right, and we see that in society right now, everywhere. And, uh, and you give in the end, what you have to do is you have to give the government all the power because the government has to grant rights, and they can ensure ensure that everybody gets their rights, um, except for any oppressors. And that th that is running into it. I mean, you know, there that's already running into conflict easily in all the different oppressed classes we have in the United States today. But this is how some starlet from America can be a victim as a member of the royalty in Great Britain because she's a member of an oppressed group, and. Um, I mean, you know, I don't think that does victims any good, really. If you're living in a $14 million mansion talking about people not liking you, I don't think that helps, but just for the record. That doesn't, like, overwhelm me with, with you know, convention. I'm not convinced by that. Now, then, the, the challenge with critical theory, as one might expect, is that it doesn't work. I mean, it does work if you're in power, for example, like if you are the head of the Communist Party or you're a member of the Communist Party, it works well for you. But it doesn't work so, mal, so, so well for, like, plebeians. Uh, that would be Christians. It involves things like gulags and death camps and mass graves, that sort of thing. That's very negative to that theory. But we don't talk, you know, that, that's not prominent in our thought. But that is what is, that's where it goes. That's where it's leading eventually is to that sort of, like, we're going to get rid of the oppressors and then we're going to do that by oppressing them and we'll be on top and it's, it's it's really ugly all you have to do is read history what i think is interesting about these two is that they sort of cancel each other out i mean the theory of evolution um would go if you look at it and you it denies the image of god in human being right it cheats us of our agency and agency is a philosophical word and i'm using it to mean that we are somebody who has control over our actions we have control over our will you know we're not mere animals subject to our needs but that is what um that is that so that the the gift of being made in the image of god is the ability to rule and to take authority and control over oneself to become um you know um, what is it fully functioning to choose destiny and imagination to be creative to do all those different things Right? But, um, so to be an animal is to have those choices all taken away from us, right? We're just subject to all of our physical needs and compulsions, and there's nothing you can do about it. You know, and the critical theory, on the other hand, 
denies the essential human being, essential humanity of human beings, right? It, it, you are your group. That's who you are. That's how you when you can be Joe Biden on the campaign trails. If you're not black, you don't vote. You don't. If you don't vote for me, you're not black. Or you know, people can be um, astonished by you know um, things. Like, I mean, that that's the perfect example. Let's just stop right there. You know that that he said that on the on the campaign trail. I mean, he, you have to be a member of that group. That's who you are. That's that group. And that's how. You know. I don't know if you, if you're familiar with me. Right, you know that I love Thomas Sowell. I think he's a brilliant man. He's an economist, which is how I found him years ago. But he's a social commentator. He is extremely well traveled around the world. He's read extensively. He's looked at history extensively. I am truly in awe of him as an individual. He is a brave man. He is respectful and honest, and um, he's straightforward. And I have a T-shirt. I kid you not. I have a T-shirt with a quote from him, and it says this: "It says the most fundamental fact about the ideas of the political left." is that they do not work. Therefore, we should not be surprised to find the left concentrated in institutions where ideas do not have to work in order to survive. Okay, let me say that again. Let me read it again. The most fundamental fact about the ideas of the political left is that they do not work. Therefore, we should not be surprised to find the left concentrated in institutions where ideas do not have to work in order to survive. And when I, I use that quote, because it applies to government, yes, and, and, but, but more importantly, it applies to universities, and it applies to the academician, the intellectual world, professional intellectuals who are unaccountable for whether or not their ideas work. That just because they've published a book does not mean that that book is worth reading, right? They, they, teach, they go in, they teach malarkey for 35 or 40 years, they get published, they retire, and we become a nation of idiots. I mean, we can sort through truth. We cannot. We cannot sort the truth from fiction. We can't distort uh, sort from uh, facts from fantasy. We can't tell right from wrong. I mean, we're a sad little nation these days. When you're watching the news and you think the nation is imploding, right? And there's no way to stop the spiral. I want you to remember this: that we have educated ourselves into this. We've educated ourselves into this. That's why I think Christians need to educate our own. We need to be in charge of what they're learning so they can learn something that's factual, that's true, that's functional, useful, something that helps them become a human being, right? There's so much nonsense being taught in our colleges today and in our high schools and junior highs. It comes through our entertainment. It comes out of Hollywood. It comes through all the different advertising that we get. These are the things that are important. It's completely false. These are ideas that have been proven wrong. They've been proven dangerous, and they've been known to destroy societies everywhere they've been implemented, right? But we're teaching them to our young. Yes, that's us. Why do I think it is so important to discuss truth? Besides the fact that Jesus said he is the truth? To live in lies is to self-destruct eventually. It is to destroy oneself. It's to destroy a nation, destroy a civilization, we need to live in the truth. Now, I'm running out of time here, and I hate to do this again, but I am. I'm going to say uh, that I'm going to pick up next time with what it means to be human as a Christian. What, is, what does that mean? Why, what did God create? What did God design? And the all-important question is, is it true? Does Christianity present an accurate portrayal of human beings? Okay, does it, is it an accurate depiction of reality, of the essence of a human being? Is Christianity, can it do that? And I want to leave you with this thought. A Richard Dawkins cannot explain God or understand faith. He can only mock it. But God, sure enough, can explain a Richard Dawkins 
And I would go so far as to say the gospel is the lens through which the world makes sense. It is the only lens through which the world makes sense. Let's close with prayer. Hear my prayer, O Lord. Have mercy upon me, a sinner, and save me. I ask you, O God, to call your people to lift our eyes to you, that we may see your glory. Send your Holy Spirit to walk with us, to guide our steps, and to remind us throughout each day of your infinite wisdom, as well as the safety we find in the shelter of your love. These things we pray in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. All right, you guys, be thinking about this week. What does it mean to be a Christian in, from, the, from the perspective of Christianity? Y'all be blessed, you hear? You have just heard the latest You Have Heard It Said podcast with Elizabeth Moreau. Don't forget to subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Google Podcast, or whatever service you might use. Please rate, review, and share this podcast with others. Be sure to look us up on Facebook and like and share this podcast with your friends. And while you're at it, if you appreciate this ministry, please consider making a donation to Servants Feast Christian Ministry through our website. Join us next time as Elizabeth explores and exposes yet another piece of conventional wisdom with the truth of Christ.